Hey, Sam. Hey, Teresa. What's up? Uh, not much. Just kind of woke up, fed my fish. Um, just really excited for this interview, to be honest. Bro, you have to tell the audience how you transported this fish from <laughs> literally the state of New York to Chicago. So, Columbia kicks us out in basically one day, and I had had three fish who have been with me since the first week of college because I impulsively bought a 20-gallon fish tank. So I had these two fish, and we were in the room. It was, like, me and four of my friends, and they were all like, Sam, it's time to flush them. And <laughs> Real friends. I was, like, I was like, I understand. Like, it definitely <laughs> makes the most sense. But then right when I was about to flush them, I was like, I can't. So I went and ran to get like little baggies to put them in, put them in bags. It was like a three hour process. Got to the airport. It was six in the morning. I'd spent the whole night like packing and all my stuff with the fish. And so I tell the woman at the counter that I have fish in my bag. And she's like, no, you can't take them on the plane. And I was like, there has to be a way, like pleading with her. And she's like, okay, you have to buy this box for $10. I was like, of course. So I bought the box, put the fish in the box, and then she's like, oh, you also have to pay like $70 for an additional carry-on. And then so me and her got in this huge fight. It was a whole mess. She was just being like mad rude to me. Then I managed to get the box in my other carry-on bag, and um, it was two pounds over, and she's like, you still have to pay $50. And I was like, no, I don't. So I shoved my clothes. It was a whole like two-hour thing at the airport. And at the end, it was just me and the woman behind the counter and her boss just all like yelling at each other. It was a mess. But the fish got home. They're alive. Actually, one died last week. George Harrison died. A moment of silence for George Harrison. He had a swim bladder problem. Oh, that's the yeah. killer. That's the real killer. It number is. One, number one cause of death for fish. That's like having a walk bladder problem. Like, if you can't walk, you can't really live. So he was just like... I mean, he did see the world. He really did. New York, <laughs> Chicago. He he was a well-rounded fish. And yeah. um, really well-spoken. Really intellectual. I remember the one time that I spoke with him, he was just, you know, going off about all the things that he had <laughs> seen between New York and Chicago. No, so originally I had six fish. Um, I had the three beetles and the three Migos. And I was going to see like which group would live longer. Cause I don't know if y'all remember, but Migos and the beetles had like some like beef where the Migos said they were better than beetles, but Yikes. all of the Migos died before the beetles. Damn. So I think we've concluded that the beetles are the greatest group between the two. Yeah, if anything decides that, it's it's this situation right here. <laughs> so we're really excited for today's episode because in this episode, we will be interviewing rapper Mavi over a glass of Coca-Cola. Great, let's get into it. So today we went with the classic Coca-Cola. You can hear it in my glass with some ice cubes. Um, and we decided to pick this drink today because we hadn't done a soda yet. Um, and it was time to go for the classic American beverage. It is a bit early to be drinking Coke, but 
still Coke's pretty much good for any time of the day. The only time I like Coke is like if I'm using it like as a mixer, but even then, like I prefer like Sprite or something. And um, I feel like the one memory I have associated with Coke is um, watching the Mad Men finale and being upset about it. I'm not upset about the finale, but being upset that it was over. Because you remember when Don Draper like finds his piece? Mm-hmm. It's like that Coca-Cola campaign. That's really my only emotional attachment to this drink. My dad really loves Coke. Like that's his go-to drink. But I don't know. I just like don't really see the hype, if I'm being honest. Mm, I feel like I have such a positive association with Coke because like when I was little, my parents would only let me drink non-caffeinated sodas. So once I was like an eighth grade or whatever, and my parents started letting me drink Coke, I thought it was like the coolest fucking drink ever. Were you like bouncing off the fucking walls? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still don't drink a lot of caffeine. So pretty much whenever I consume caffeine, my body is like, okay. Dude, isn't that crazy how when we were young, like sodas were considered caffeine? Because I don't even consider it caffeine. Like, oh, I anymore. do. Really? Like you feel something from drinking soda? I feel any caffeine I drink. Yeah. What? Dude, I feel like I don't feel caffeine unless I'm like a cup and a half of coffee in. No, coffee's too much for me. Like, really? Drinks are like so effective for me. What? Like, if I drink a Red Bull, I'm up for like okay, five hours. That's actually the worst example. You can't compare like energy drinks. Like, Red Bull has so much caffeine. Anyone's going to feel that. If I drink coffee, I'm up. Like, if I drink Coke, it's just like different amounts of time. Like if I drink Coke, I'm up for like an hour. And then like coffee's like three and then Red Bull's like five. Really? I just like don't, I just associate so soda with like mixers. And other than that, like I never ever will drink a soda. Like um, it's just nasty to me. Like what is the point? It's just sugar and water. It's sick. But I do remember when I was young, my mom told me that like the Coca-Cola company had this secret recipe and that like nobody could steal it. And um, I guess that brought some mystery to this drink. Pretty mysterious. <laughs> Coke okay. also just like owns every other company. <laughs> so it's kind of mm-hmm. Um, So let's pivot into talking about today's guest, rapper Mavi. My friend Malachi actually, who's been on this podcast before, uh-uh. Um, introduced me to uh, Mavi because I think pretty much just randomly he sent me a SoundCloud link and I clicked on it and the cover of Let the Sun Talk was so beautiful that I just kept listening to it all the way through and it just really hooked me and it ended up me and him both really fell in love with the album so it was just constantly on in our room um, just like pretty much every day, especially self-love. I think everyone that stepped foot in our room basically knew every lyric <laughs> to that song by the end of the year. Yeah, basically, once I got the SoundCloud link, I went back to the project, mostly because of self-love and the cover. It was just such a good cover to always have on your phone and to be staring at. And Mavi's lyrics really focused on things that I thought were really important. Um, and in a way that I hadn't really heard before. And it became very clear early on that Let the Sun Talk was like primed to blow up because 
after self-love there were so many other tracks which grabbed people and it was really cool to see Mavi's growth over the course of the year until by 2020 he was a pretty legitimate like underground rap star um and what I've always really appreciated about Mavi is the honesty in his lyrics and how personal his music feels uh it feels like he's not talking directly to the listener but talking about himself and talking about real problems and issues that he has in his life which I feel like is pretty rare and is something that I really appreciated about his music. So we're interviewing for him for the podcast today, though, to talk about his album coming out later this year called Shango. Um, so we're going to ask him questions about that, ask him questions about his recording process, and also about his experience recording in this time of quarantine. Yeah, Sam introduced me to Mavi early in quarantine because as we were putting together our site, basically we wanted to give recommendations for albums, but we didn't want them to be like already well-known albums and we wanted to focus on people of color, I guess. And um, Sam was like, oh, have you heard of this rapper Mavi? Like, I think he would really, really like his album, Let the Sun Talk. And so I listened to it and like immediately I fell in love and also I'm a huge fan of like shorter compact albums where like every song is good and mm. that definitely was Let the Sun Talk um, but my favorite song actually isn't self-love it's Love of Money. I think that like just the um, melodies he uses on it paired with his raps was just like something that was stuck in my head a lot which like isn't really common for raps for me his standalone lyrics like even without his music paired with it is still like super powerful which is also just crazy because he's like our age and mommy's doing such dope things and i know we're both really looking forward to this album and just blessed to have the opportunity to talk to him so um we're gonna call him up right now and i hope you guys enjoy the show hello how are you Thank y'all for having me, man. How are y'all? No problem. We're excited. Where are you located right now? We're at Harlem. Sam, aren't you going to be there soon? Yeah, I'm going to be there next week. I go to school up at Columbia, so. I spent the summer, like, uh, with this shirty, like, on a campus on the Upper West Side on, on my first New York grad trip. It was fun. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's a lot of fun to just be in that area, too. It's a nice area. Police be on that, though, sometimes. Especially this last year, they've, like, been going crazy, but it's a whole different thing. <laughs> um, so what has it been like working on this new album in the whole quarantine period? Has it been harder, or do you, have you had time to, like, really focus on the sound? It, it definitely gave me a lot of time to focus, and, like, it's, like, a rare opportunity just for artists to get, and it's, a, it's, it's, it's terrible that it's under these times, but, like, just a full break from everything out of necessity. Um, and then it allowed your perspective to catch up with some of the experiences. And I've been able to coalesce them in like more like dense ways, like around concepts more. And it's been fun as shit, bro. And like just being able to have more instruments, just to really take my time on this motherfucker has been the, the biggest step up um, for sure. And it's the first album I ever recorded in a studio so that's, oh, that's really? yeah 
how'd you record Let the Sun Talk? In the dorm room. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's crazy. The versatility of these dorm rooms can be anything. <laughs> I did photo shoots, I got um, interview, all type of shit out of the dorm room, bro. <laughs> Damn. So did you start this out, like, when did you start working on this project? And, um, like, did you plan to spend this much time on it now given that like it's quarantine and there's nothing else to do I guess yeah so I started this album for real for real like last summer and it's called Shango it's about in the Yoruba culture in Nigeria it's a system of like uh, spiritual ancestry around like chiefs and then the chiefs who are the leaders of the areas are also the personifications like uh you know, the acts of nature. And so Shango is the Orisha of thunder and virility and anger and the dance and the drums and shit. And that was when my daddy was finna name me first. And it basically came because Let the Sun was done a whole year before I released it. Well, and then it, from, I was like kind of fucked up, like figuring out like, what do I write about and why? Like, what do the next album sound like? Then I had to go all the way back just to like, okay, was the first thing that happened to you ever in life. First thing that happened to me is I'm named. And I'm like, well, what was your name before it was mine? You know, Sean Gook. And I went there and I just started studying. And I just started seeing like all kind of parallels to like, he was originally like the Orisha divination. And he traded that skill for the skill of the drums with the brother. And just like, just like uh, some expressions of his anger and his principles and just his energy toward like uh, proving himself because he started, he like one of those like, um, you know how like the the shonen anime, like they come, the, the protagonist always got like a fucking uh, unclear, like a patrial lineage and shit. Yeah. Got, like, all types of shit where I was just um seeing different parallels between like how I felt about the world, about my life in the wake of even of Let the Sun. And it, was like not so happy. Like it was kind of angry sometimes. Mm-hmm. And like that and like anger, drums, like those things are like hand in hand for me. And so that's where like the thematic portion of it came from. Just me trying to make a cloudy sky where I had a clear sky album before, you know? Oh, that's super interesting. Yeah. I mean, I feel like personally, I saw some of that anger in Let the Sun Talk too. But I can definitely see, like, moments like self-love. I feel like that's definitely a clear sky moment. And definitely, like, self-love, even being that two-pronged thing is about, like, a lot of my shit that I, the, a lot of the fucking motive for making art is for, like, like to, build, to bring something into existence or to bring a representation mm-hmm. of something I know to exist into, like, a, a clarified form. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, like, like, niggas only get to be a few things, you know? Niggas don't get to be learning or learning or angry at the same time, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like kind of coalescing like, bro, the part of yourself that is like outrightly fucking like non-tolerant of the world as it currently exists because your place in it is the same part of you that you go to when you're on your meditation, super peaceful. You know what I'm saying? That's that's equally mm. 
like the a higher power, a righteous power. And that's what this is about for sure. And kind of on that note of that part of you that doesn't sit right with what's going on in the world around you, how has this um, like whole protest moment movement meant for you? Because I know Let the Sun Talk is a lot about Black liberation. And I was wondering, and I've thought a lot about this too, but do you think this protest movement is has brought us any closer to Black liberation? Um, I think every time Black people organize themselves, they get closer to Black liberation. Because ultimately, Black liberation depends on not necessarily Black nationalism, but Black nationhood, you know? Mm-hmm. And like um, the organizational uh, habits and the wit and that we come up with and the strategy that we come up with every time out is contributing to like the new world that we build when like time comes. Yeah, the protest shit is crazy though because it's like um, uh, they're on their back foot. And when you put white supremacy on his back foot, it get real violent. Mm-hmm. Like this shit where you see like the damn unmarked cops just throwing niggas in a van. Like that's how lynchings happen. Yeah. Like this blurring of the line between a uh, like like literally in the South, there used to be this thing called a posse, and the sheriff would just have a whole bunch of just white men who was just his homies that go run around and shoot shit with him. And, like that kind of just being the the sort of like. Uh, the law of the land, as long as niggas is protesting white supremacy, should tell you mm-hmm. something about like the stakes in this shit. And they are deep, but you know, we deeper. Going back to when you were talking about like the research that you did um, for your upcoming album, I know that you draw a lot of inspiration not only from artists, but also like thinkers and texts that you read. So in your writing process, does it usually come that you do research and then you write, or you already draw from texts that you're familiar with and are inspired by? It's like, it's kind of like both, bro. It's like, on some ends, it's like, all right, so some things about Shango. Some things about Shango is like, Shango is, um, so like the system of Orishas, like that, that practice of worshiping him is a practice that not only exists in Nigeria, right? But it exists in Cuba, Mexico, like all through Latin America. It has pockets in the American, African Americans in Atlanta, in Texas, in New York, and all through South America. So it's a long cultural lineage. Like it's damn near indigenous, it's, it's damn near one of black people like attached ways of knowing as indigeneity in an unfamiliar space. And so that's why I went straight to that. But because, because of that, I have to go and just learn certain things about like, why is Brazil and American black plight similar? Like, how did it get to the point? And seeing like how to share interest in slavery led to like some of the things that we noticed about Brazil's population, and then how, like, you know, Brazil's intentional immigration of European immigrants into there, how that affected it. But like, mm-hmm. as far as like reading, reading, as far as like Shango himself, I got this book. It's called Shango Santeria and the Orisha Thunder. And I got Shango Ifa and the Orisha Thunder. And this one's by Baba Raul Canizares. And the other one's by Awo. Ah, oh, fuck, I can't remember his name. His name's Awo. His first name is Awo. <laughs> and then uh, Odu Ifa by, um, fuck, I'm forgetting niggas' names. But it was written by the nigga who founded Kwanzaa. Yeah, but basically it's like a, a translation of like the Ifa spiritual, um, like, Logs for like 
transmutation in the current life. But um, yeah, just reading that shit really gave me a lot of insight about like, what about this nigga was magnetic? What about this nigga was electric? Like he was pretty. Like one of the things that they said about him was his hair was damn near womanly. Mm. And like, um, and he was he was like unassuming, but he could he burnt down the whole village. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's like, um, it's an interesting little little story, bro. His shit, shit. Yeah. And how have you? I know let the sun talk. The title and the theme of the album kind of went through the whole project. Is Congo mm-hmm. similar? Like, are you taking from that theme and applying it to different songs, or is it yeah, like definitely, definitely? So like. The things about Shango is like fire and anger and destruction and building and destruction being a continuum that he has to learn a rhythm for throughout his life, just as a nigga with like capabilities beyond his judgment. And that's what the whole shit is. The shit about niggerness outside of even Shang- like like the, the spiritual practices that that derived from is like your ancestors be like, they exist in living exercise too, as much as they were people of the past. Mm. Like, that was like an important thing to, like, what is Shango? Like, Shango as a 20 year old nigga in 2020 America, what is that? How does he feel? Mm. What is he doing right? What is he doing wrong? How do people treat him? You know? Mm. Uh, for your past album, I, I saw that in an interview, you said that, like, Let the Sun Talk had a lot more eyes on it than you intended. And now that you know you have like a larger base of listeners, has that influenced what you are going to be putting out in this upcoming album? Kind of yeah and kind of no. Kind of yeah so far as like a lot of the music that I was making before now wasn't fully fleshed out in the sense that like, like in terms of the process of making the song, because they were kind of like little beacons for niggas to be like, hey, like come come point me in the direction of the studio. Come point like come show me what I need. And like literally that's been a that's been the process for learning and improving every step of the way. More release to release the like the growth of the audience. Because like um I start I'm able to see like what are the shortcomings in the songwriting and let the sun what may what things may let the sun something that people can't put down. And what are the you know what I'm saying? And that's just that's something I do like regardless of reception. But it's definitely scary, bro, because like also because like I be kind of nice and I don't hate black people. I guess that mean like people assign like I said, niggas can't be like multiple things at once. So people assign both a moral like angelicness to me. Mm. And that also come with like the reflex to defile that illusion. But it's not even an illusion I even want it, you know? Mm. It's, uh, um, yeah, just uh, being allowed to be myself. Yeah, it's the most important shit because it's like that's what the black liberation shit really look like. Everybody mm-hmm. being able to be on board with the terms and conditions, and everybody being itself, you know? Yeah, that's one thing that I like immediately appreciate about you is that, like, no matter what, I feel like especially the place I've seen it most is on is on Twitter. You just keep it real, engage with like every conversation that's going on. Um, in one thing that happened recently, like surrounded like Anthony Fantano and him interviewing music yeah. and 
but it started a conversation about like what do you think white people's or what does anyone think white people's role in reviewing black music is and i was wondering if you could speak a little bit on that i think uh, it's gonna be like i don't want to be controversial but like i don't really think they got no role like you got you you literally have no business like bro young thug like we like all right can we accept that african-american vernacular english is a distinct language language from the the, the crown's english or mm-hmm. bbc or american english? Mm-hmm. all right bet so if you could and i'm gonna pick on him because you know also like I don't even, I don't feel like I have no, no, no reason to spare him because, you know, crazy shit that came out about that nigga. But like, could you imagine young, could you imagine Anthony Fantano reading Young Thug lyrics in African-American vernacular English? <laughs> no. You know it. No. You only, got, you only got access to the concepts that the fucking, li- that the narrative voice of this shit is, is nodded by. That you can't even under it's in, it's unintelligible to you. Like you listen to it like how I would listen to EDM, which is like <laughs> what's, like for what's cute and what's not. And like niggas, like that's so random, bro. Yeah. And, but I do appreciate it. I will say this. I will say this. One thing that I do see though is that rappers with different musical influences that go outside of rap, even me like jazz, Uzi like rock or like Tyler like punk, different shit. Um, they bring fans with them who may not have family traditions in hip hop, right? Or whose whose families might have played the Beatles, or might have played the Stones, or the Ramones around them, or some shit, or Marilyn Manson, and they come up and like this shit, or might play Glasper around them, and they come up and like this shit. That shit, bro. That's all. Like, bro, offer your perspective with the context of your perspective. Mm. That's the role of anybody in hip hop who's not a rapper or not a black person. You know what I'm saying? And then what you start to begin to see is when people do it with respect to the genre, you see beautiful things happen, like UK drill or New York drill. You yeah. see what I'm saying? You start to see how like Oakland and Detroit rap similar. So it's like it's not that hip hop is, is supposed to be an insular thing, but it's something that it's a it's a culture like any other, which like you gotta have certain respect for certain tenets of it and for the language of it to even participate. And until you do, I can't look at you like a true participant or take you mm. serious or a reviewer. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. And there's definitely other reviewers and people in hip hop who have like earned their stripes like that. But I think and then also yeah. hip hop is not even that sort of thing, because also like not even not even just not even just to pick on him, but like the niggas, bro, like y'all gotta be reviewing the shit in the fucking way. That's like your language. Like, what do you really think is hard about this shit? Like, Mavi is not introspective, bro. Like, like, like beyond the but beyond the words that you see Pitchfork say about albums that sound like sort of this album, what do you think is hard about this shit? Like, oh shit, that nigga said, Ooh, whatever. That's how that's how I be reviewing music for my niggas. I be like, bro, listen to this nigga, this new future. This nigga future said, whatever. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, um, literally, like, um, music has to be about what it is and not what it's like. You know, mm, true. What it do instead of what it supposed to do or what you think it's supposed to do. Because if you think it's supposed to do something and it all the way fails at that, that might not even be what the nigga was trying to do. 
know? The thing that drove me crazy was like how everyone kept saying you sounded like Earl. And I was like, what are y'all listening to? You know? It's fair, bro. Everybody got their own ear. Everybody can say anything sound like anything else. My shit is, bro, I love Tibber. He's one of my, that's like really one of my men. Like where I would be like thinking about what he do, same thing. Like everybody in rap is not like that, but he's actually one. But like that, like him and me is like, cousin that's dead my cousin mm-hmm. you know and he like in the i tell him this i'd be like he in the advanced class of rap like even how like i don't even like listening to rap niggas at all and then like um like outside of like some trap shit because like i feel like i don't like rap listening to niggas who don't rap as good as me ever like i don't know braggy shit but like literally like some things I, I don't even like. And so, like, that nigga, like, his taste and my taste as far as, like, oh, nah, this is, like, some of the best, like, this is that straight drop hip-hop. Like, mm-hmm. that's my guy for that. I fuck with him. And, yeah, you know, this shit is all a cultural lineage. Rapping itself is a cultural lineage. Yeah. How did you, like, because me and Sam, we grew up in Chicago, and that's really, like, influenced the way we see art and stuff so how has i guess your upbringing and growth got get you to this place where you have this direction and for your music and what you want to listen to and take inspiration from i think a lot of it come from what people i look up to was putting me on like my cousins they really put me on like like chief chief future the like 2012 2011 like middle school area and like, also, I, I began to realize that rap occupy a different lane now, where like rap is just like the popular music of the earth, like, or it can be, it qualifies as being such. It can go that huge. And then I started to listen to it with two different ears. One for like the plucky underdog rap, for like, what is the genre that has this charm and this perspective and this style that is inimitable if you're not from it, right? Like, it's a real shit. And then, what is it about this shit that, like, even niggas who think nothing is cool about the life that these rappers is living think that it's the coolest shit ever? And then that's where I, like, that's kind of, like, where my taste grew from. Like a like a mix of what I thought was, like, potent and, and what I thought was pleasing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, like, my taste really grew from, like, um, like the first rappers niggas was probably listening to was probably like, yay. Like Roses was the first Kanye song I ever heard. <laughs> like, oh nah, this nigga going stupid, boy. <laughs> yeah. After Yay, it was probably like Wayne around Sorry for the Wait, No Ceilings, like mixtape, like that Piff Wayne. And then just from being on that Piff, I was hearing the old Gucci, like Trap God, mm-hmm. the old the future. And like and thug and then just seeing all them niggas grow into like full-fledged superstars and then they style still developing as they getting bigger like that shit that shit super inspiring and then but like on the rapper rapper shit like my favorite favorite rapper from like ninth grade has been Nona. like yes like uh she dropped with knowledge like before she dropped telephone actually the whole chicago shit 
and it's crazy because like it's parallels to like what can go right and what can go wrong when you have a lot of people rapping good or in from the same place um like from the same place in their heart um but like like the, like a lot of the save money niggas was inspiring me around that time like a lot of chicago artists was and like i, I draw from different cities like black cities heavily like you know detroit Atlanta, chicago new york oakland la you know because it's important to have like a worldly fucking understanding of black music because that's what brought these styles of black music into fruition in the first place like genres like salsa this combination of black cultures from different places on the map you know things like hip-hop even, you know yeah yeah and just on the chicago scene um like i agree it's super interesting where everyone's kind of gone from there and i feel like all the artists in the scene have gone to do such different things. Um, it is crazy that a scene can even go that way. But I was wondering, did you, have you ever drawn influence from Charlotte or has your influence? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bro, me and my niggas, bro, like that's also <laughs> the thing. Like me and like my five homies from Charlotte have a subculture, like have mm-hmm. a language, have places we hang out with, have cars that we like. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, we, it's, 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 like, we, like, you know, if you just say, me and my niggas are motherfucking tight, you can't even tell us apart. Like, uh, yeah. But, like, yeah, my Charlotte boys, like, Killswitch, Messiah, Amiri King, Sko, it's like, um, them niggas is dead, my twin energy, everything. Like, we know each other, we can back our hand. And so, like, um, like more Carolina things was probably like the P Pablo's of the world, uh, Master P even in some respects, like a whole lot of shit. Oh, like and it wasn't even necessarily Charlotte because Charlotte not such a big rap city. Mm-hmm. What, the things I take from Charlotte like how to dress, like what I think is cool. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Charlotte was really taking a lot culturally and musically from like Atlanta. Uh, Tennessee in some respects, Florida, shit like that. And so, like, niggas was listening to all this type of shit. Like, niggas had a big, like, South South Florida phase. Niggas had a New Orleans phase. Like, I, niggas have a phase from them in every city, bro. Why well, just, like, try to learn, like, what's the harsh? Like, because, like, city to city, people can have entire regional forms of rap because niggas do something so hard that niggas from that city don't even want to hear nothing else. Like, Detroit niggas <laughs> yeah. Like, Hearing that shit, if it's not, but that shit be slapping. And so I'll be trying to figure out them little secrets, like on my wizard shit, you know? Um, Like going forward with your albums, are you trying to, do you think like define a certain sound or are you kind of like learning and continuously pulling from different like scenes and cultures? Yeah, I want to continue to be like a learner, especially because sampling as like the practice of hip hop is like a, it's a paradigm that allowed for you to plug in different shits, different inspirations, different instruments as you need. Um, and so like, I don't know, like, I don't know. Do I have a divine sound? Sound yet? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I regularly don't know the answer to that question. I, you know what I say though? I would make my song. Like, I'm not trying to make the best song. I'm not trying to make this nigga song, that nigga song, this style song. I'm trying to make the song I'm equipped to make today and nothing else. 
you know, and try to make it the best version of that. Yeah. Um, so we talked a lot about different cities in this interview. So I was wondering, like, what about Harlem? Why did you want to record your album in Harlem specifically? Because, bro, what's the name? I was supposed to do the fucking Apollo this year, but it got canceled because of the COVID. Yeah. <laughs> um, Harlem is where a lot of niggas, sounds, art forms found themselves. Like, jazz found itself here. Again, the dancing style, like, Harlem represent kind of in, in a microcosm, like the, <laughs> the nigga dream, fucked up America dream, which is that a bunch of niggas could come, like, Harlem was a bunch of Southern niggas at first. It was like ethnically diverse with Italians, Hispanics, whatever, Jewish people, Middle Easterns. And so like, the kids were growing into their own little shit, but they were thoroughly enculturated. And then, like, these people were all just, like, Southern Black people who, like, migration era Black people. But they was dead styling, like, styling on shit, bro. They was putting that shit the fuck on. Niggas was listening to good-ass music. Niggas was eating good-ass food. Mm. Like, niggas was, niggas was a hotbed for, like, the creation of conceptual excellence mm. for you know what I'm saying? And I appreciate that a lot. I do. It's like a place where you can form some ideas and where you can draw from ideas and continue, you know? Yeah. But not be derivative. That's mm -hmm. what I appreciate. Even like Dipset, like, nigga, Harlem has been cool every generation of ever. True. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What type of response do you want to elicit from your upcoming project? Uh, I want people to listen to it two times. And they'd be like, man, this shit hard. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> like, bro. Like, this nigga rapping on this motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. That's what I want niggas to think, bro. Because, like, what I realized with Let the Sun and with this whole discussion about, like, the position of, like, reviewers to this shit is, is that what Let the Sun did well, which was, like, kind of what I sought to do, which was to make it pretty enough so where even if you don't get it at all, you'll stick around. Mm. <laughs> and the is definitely one of those. The Chago is really pretty. Even though it's angry, it's really pretty. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I just want people to like, I was listening to the shit. I was listening to a song called Baby Food, and this will age good. But we, I was listening to a song called Baby Food in the lift on the way back from like getting the Knicks. And um, I was like, damn, this shit sound like the damn Sesame Street things. I'm like, I'm riding through there. New York amongst the brownstones. And like the day of the buildings is playing the sax lines and shit. You know what I'm saying? Like that's what I want niggas to take from this shit. I wanted to narrate the fucking existence, but like the existence that make you know that God is real, you know? Mm. Damn. Yeah. We are so excited for this album. Um Any do chance you... we release date? Oh Tony not here. Oh, that nigga who got y'all on the phone, bro. Shout out to that man, Tony Kimpton, bro. <laughs> that nigga, bro. He makes they engineered the whole shit. Oh, wow. And, oh, shit. And he been, um like, putting me, like, in connection with such amazing, like, artists, like, black artists. Like, he brought me, like, uh, like um, amazing, like, background singers. And so, like, just literally putting together my phone book, but, like, just his ear for taste and shit has been really fun. But, um, yeah, as far as release dates, no release date. 
But okay. <laughs> it would no, not for be sure. like, what's today? It's uh, July 29th. You won't wait another two months. You okay, okay. Another. We'll just say upcoming. We'll say upcoming. Yeah. <laughs> I have times, bro. <laughs> yeah, no, when Tony called me, I was like, who are you? Because <laughs> I was talking to Alicia, and then this guy called Tony called me, and I was like, He's like, is this Teresa? I was like, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Alicia too, bro. Alicia and Tommy, they like way different, bro. Like they're way different. Hey, you got lucky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else you want to share about the album? Go buy that shit, bro. Bootleg it if you're a nigga. You know, if you're not a nigga, <laughs> bootleg that shit. And also, put this in there. If any nigga see my damn cover and start putting that shit on a damn t-shirt, you ain't tell me. I find out that you, if I see your IP address is not from a damn zip code where underprivileged black people is from, we going to court. <laughs> you heard it here first. Going to court. <laughs> but that as though it's gonna be like fun. Like it's not so much about like everybody like like we're letting the sun is like everybody come here and hear this because like Earth y'all need to hear this right now. It's like bro, I need to tell y'all like what I am, where I'm from, what it's like. I need to talk from like a not the third person omniscient, mm. you know? And that's what this is for. I appreciate it though. And then I also got, I got a secret right after Shango for niggas too. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we really thank appreciate it. I'm so grateful for y'all niggas, bro. This is a great interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What's up, man? Talk to y'all soon. Bye. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of Two Virgins. We hope you enjoyed getting to know Mavi and learn more about his upcoming album, Shango. This episode can be found on quarantinecontent.com as well as our weekly newsletter, The Q. See you next week.